going to start off updating a lot of stuff here, I think, is, is kind of what I've noticed. Um, we are efforting someone big, um, but we're going to go with somebody not as big but still really tall. Uh, could get my dad. So scheduled the tape of my father and the time he played basketball for these barnstorming teams that were Will Chamberlain, Bill Russell, Tommy Heinsohn, Bob Cousy, and they would play against these other guys. So my father moved from Providence, Rhode Island, Providence. Providence? Um, Italian. What other Providence? Yeah, but like, you know, Atwell Avenue, Rosillo, that kind of stuff. Um, there's still some, yeah, some distant relatives over there that I don't, I don't know at all, to be honest with you, but, uh, the Atwell Avenue crew, they, they were visited in an, storyline of Sopranos when Tony and those guys needed to take somebody out but it couldn't come back to them they went to Will Avenue and they went up remember like the old people and they're like Cavell do you like Cavell uh you know what a pronunciation I realized excuse me impersonation I've learned recently that I can do really well is Tommy from Disaster Artist Franco's character like I didn't know that I had it and I just I have it I thought you were gonna say Dave Gettleman no because the Gettleman do a mean Dave Gettleman I could figure out Gettleman can we play some Gettleman? Can we play some Gettleman at some point today? I could talk Gettleman. I could talk Odell. How about that Ronda Rousey stuff? Do you have that potpourri of Ronda Rousey's bad interviews? Can we do that? Because I've got a little Rousey in me. I've heard the Will Kane thing yesterday. But, yeah, I can do, uh, hey, baby face. Don't ask about life, Greg. Yeah, so I've got I've got that Franco thing down. I didn't hit her. I did not hit her. It's I did. Oh, hi, Mark. Same age as Greg. Oh, happy birthday. Okay, so if you haven't seen The Disaster Artist, you're going to be like, is Priscilla drinking before the podcast? Well, if the question is kombucha, the answer is yes. Which we learned that actually had a little alcohol in it. And we were drinking it at work. Whoa. Whoa. Drinking at work. We serve it. Yep. Not Disney. But yeah, we got a master brew. So I'm in a weird mood today because this might be the last time I'm ever at ESPN. Uh, I'm taping later tonight with Van Pelt. I'm not even taping. I'm going on live, so I'm going to be here all night. It's kind of a fun little thing. But, yeah, this is probably it. Yeah, I brought some moving boxes. I'm going to clean out the office. I'm going to give out a ton of sweatpants that I didn't wear, although shout-out to the sweatpants and all the fashion blogs for finally catching on to what I've known and others have known now for probably year year plus. But if they're nice enough, you can wear them out. That's how I felt about sweatpants. Especially if they're real. dark. Is it a black sweatpant, maybe a wind, wind pant type material. I got some heather gray, you know. It can't be like a it can't be like a Walmart gray, like a light gray. It's no be a dark color. No, I don't own any any stuff from Walmart. Uh, certainly not sweatpants. Certainly not clothing. But I haven't given away a lot of clothing. I got a couple bags over there. Uh, I, I you know people are going to tweet and say, "Hey, send it me some." I'm just I'm not going to get involved in the mailing thing, so I'm not, I'm not going to be able to do that. You so want a quick, Gettleman. Let me save the Gettleman because I think people do want two updates. I know you want an update on one. Go. Yeah, I just wanted to know if you figured out where you're living. It was, you know, it was between no. Denver or LA, right? Yeah, so almost lost the house last week and ended up not losing the house. This is all bo- uh, based on mortgage locks. So, like, you get a rate and then there's a date that the mortgage expires and then they want you to reapply and get whatever the rate is for then. Like, you can't just get the rate and then go whatever. Then you can pay for extensions. This is all grown up stuff. You guys will learn about it, homeowners out there. Uh, future homeowners. But yeah, you go through a lot. Somebody did point out that last week I started the podcast by complaining about a real life thing that could screw up my life if I don't have a place to live. And I spent like three minutes on that, but then I spent 10 minutes on the kid from the gym so that my priorities were out of whack, which I thought was a great tweet, very observant. But yeah, it looks like the house is back on. I am packing up my stuff this weekend. I hate it. This is where I think people get a girlfriend or a wife because moving sucks so hard but if somebody else is there with you having it also suck that's where you need that support and right now doing it by myself it sucks it's depressing and i'm not like why am i depressed i'm you know no nothing against west hartford i I like west hartford i like west hartford i do um i don't hate it nearly as much i don't hate connecticut nearly as much as like so many other people that move from outside of connecticut that have to come to espn and then as soon as they get here like oh connecticut or like i'll meet somebody like oh do you live in bristol be like townies live in bristol okay Shout out to Bristol, but like, you know your demo. All right. So Rudy, you can back me up. You grew over in the town, town over, right? Yeah. Uh, and I don't live there with all due respect, Southington, but I don't live in Southington. 
you don't live in Southington now. But I mean, that's, that's the thing is, you know, like, oh, you know, the people act like when you get, yeah, yeah, all of our sports center guys have, uh, they have split level ranches, duplexes down the street in Bristol, right next to the IHOP. No, I mean, you know, eventually, depending on what you're doing, you move to whatever, every area has a nice area. Like every place in the world has a nice area. And, you know, I was lucky enough to live in, in that area. So there's no reason for you to depressed if I'm moving to Manhattan Beach. Um, but it is just, a, it's like one of those kind of life journeys things that when you do it by yourself all the time, like I do, you know, I remember I had a friend saying, why wouldn't you want, I was like, ah, I want everything to be like perfect and then be move in ready with the wife. He's like, why wouldn't you rather just experience the ups and downs of somebody else so that you grow together in a relationship? And I was like, wow, that was a really mature response. And I wasn't ready for that. And know what I know now, right now is like the two times you wish you had a, like a, a girlfriend is like when you're hung over after a weekend trip and it's the Sundays and you know, they're starting to kick in. It's just nothing you can do about it. You know, they're going to go away in, in 24, 48 hours of a good sweat and a good workout. But, um, there's that and then moving, moving. So I've been in this house a month plus longer than I've wanted to be. And now I have to pack it all up because the moving guy's coming, the renter's coming. So it means I do have to leave, but now I'm leaving and I don't know where I'm going. So my buddy has a farm out in Colorado, like 50 minutes outside of Denver, and I'm probably going to go live there on the farm for a little bit. I'm thinking, and like work the land or work the land, nice. get get right with God. Yeah, I'm thinking Have some goats. No, it'll I'll get some writing done, and then you know I can write more terrible shows. So there we go. So that's the update number one. Update number two is Jim Kids. They did chess today. There was an attempt maybe at taking a video, but I didn't want to do that to them because I'm very anti when people film me. So. I just don't like it's an invasion of privacy, even though I know right now there's so many younger people listening going, what's wrong with just filming a stranger against their will? And you're like, well, you know, have you some... ever seen Instagram before. Exactly. Like, that's the whole point of of having a camera phone. But those kids are in there doing chess. So there's this other kid who's really nice. And most of the people at the gym, they don't like if they know what I do or know who I am. I, I got to give them credit. Like most of them never, ever say anything to me unless I say something first. You know what I'm saying? You know, rarely will I have somebody go, oh, hey, you know. It's a different dynamic, like if I'm in a sporting event or something, right? And again, too, it's not like I deal with it that much, okay? So I'm, I'm, I don't want to make this sound like, oh, woe is me, because I'm not doing that. Uh, so a dude comes up to me, he goes, hey, um, and he doesn't really talk to me that often. He's a really nice guy. I've, I've talked to him a couple times, but he doesn't really ever, he just kind of says hi when he sees me at the gym and he goes, hey, uh, he goes, am I that, we're, he goes, that guy you were talking about last week who doesn't do like the full reps in the bench and he's kind of skinny and younger. He's like, my friend texted me. Is like, is Rosillo talking about you? So he's like, is it me? I go, dude, it's definitely not you. It's not you. I go, actually, the, the kids that it is, they're upstairs and they're on the bench. They're going to be there 30 minutes. But they never went above 185 and they brought it down not even six inches. The bar was never closer than a foot from the kid's chest. But they got the hell out of 185 today. Were they yelling while they were doing it too? No, but I looked over Grunting. and the trainer, one of the trainers who heard the podcast goes, dude, that's them, isn't it? I go, yeah, it's 100% them. He's like, are you going to take a video and tweet it out and see it? I go, yeah, I'm not going to. But then they never even did it. Like one of the kids usually puts close to 300 pounds on there and doesn't lift it. So, all right. So we have some mailbag questions. Uh, efforting my father at some point. We had another guest lined up. Didn't work out. Not a big deal. Jordan's busy this time of year. What do we want to do first? You want to do a little Gettleman? I mean, I, the guy's voice is ridiculous. It is. It's ridiculous. It's Western Mass, right? Yeah. So Gettleman, he, I heard the guys on Levitard show knocking him, and at first I thought Levitard was just crushing Gettleman. Like I don't love the whole well, all the players that had Gettleman hate him because usually a lot of times when NFL players don't like somebody in the front office, it's like D'Angelo Williams. Okay, D'Angelo Williams. Hey, you're out of a job. All right, well, now I'm going to say Gettleman's the worst. I don't know. Maybe Gettleman is the worst. But the thing is, is when you hear him talk, you go, mm, maybe maybe this dude is weird. Here he is. In the past two days, there have been two reports about Odell. Okay. Um, they've been floated uh, that he won't take the field without an extension. And the Rams are interested in trading for him. I understand the reports. People are going to print stuff. I get it. But I want you to understand this. Neither Odell nor his agent, have contacted us regarding either report. <laughs> the the end is so great. I know. I mean, it just, it's incredible. And so they, um, Levitard's crew was killing him, killing him, right? They were killing him because he's the sports guy and he's the football guy, and, and they don't like that, right? They don't like any of the traditional stuff. 
But the thing is, is at first I thought they were kind of just going to unfairly crush the football guy. They're kind of right on this one because it is, it's buffoonery. I mean, it does sound a little ridiculous. And the thing is, if you're going to carry yourself and talk like Parcells, like there's two people, there's Parcells that wins and can say all that stuff. And it's really cool. And it's, it's, it's honestly, I think some of the Parcells stuff that we requote all the time isn't even that smart. But Parcell said it. Like when you say, oh, four and four, you are where your record says you are. I actually never have believed that. There's two different four, there's a four and four team where you go, they're going to be good. And then there's a four and four team that you're like, that's a fluke. They're not even that good. That's just an old school thing. Though. Yeah. It's just an old, or, or the other Parcellsism. You draft the wrong quarterback sets you back 10 years. No. Two, maybe three. It, it just, yeah. You can show me examples of somebody that screwed up with a first round pick and then the team wasn't good again. For 10 years, but it doesn't like the idea that, okay, you take Goff and he's not good. Then the Rams are incapable of being good for a decade. That's insanely wrong. It's just, it's just not true. And then I know that you would say, well, wait a minute. When you factored in the contracts and the non rookie skills, even back then, I didn't believe it when you still had the non rookie scale contracts, but it's Parcells and he freaking wins, man. And he's Jersey tough, right? And he's just, he fits the Giants so well. So because it's Parcells, it works. You know who else sounded just like Parcells? Charlie Weiss. And like people, some people, it ruins their day hearing about Charlie Weiss. That's how bad of a coach he was. I think he's still getting paid, though. He's still getting paid. And he did that piece, and he embraced being a jerk about it. And he, I'm sure, with everything that he did for Notre Dame and there's some really special things off the field that the Weiss family has done. Um, for people and you can read all about it and it's incredible, but they were afraid because of the USC loss that they were going to lose Weiss to the NFL and Weiss, his side, his agents to get the extension, to get that kind of contract from Notre Dame, they played into the hysteria or the fear, really not even, they created the hysteria, which led to fear. And then you go, oh, we cannot lose Charlie Weiss. This guy's going to be here 10 something years. He gets paid by them forever. He got paid at Kansas. He was terrible. He was offensive coordinator at Florida to like get this guy out. You know what I mean? Like, so he has done all these stops. He used to be saying all the parcel stuff and we thought it was brilliant until he lost everywhere he went post New England. So Gettleman sounds a little like that. And he's done a good job in the past actually putting together some Panthers rosters. Okay. He's built it in a way where he goes, I'm not going to spend on this stuff that I think is frivolous. I'm going to spend on this stuff. And whenever I hear the smart people talk about football, they say build it on the inside out, right? Inside out, inside out. That's what Gettleman's done. But because he didn't what? Keep Josh Norman? You know? Although that might have been Herney. Now that I looked that up. Can we look that up, Saruti? I don't want to get that wrong. That's me going too deep. And then if I just stayed surface level, I would have never made the mistake. But like when I hear people say, oh, I don't like Gettleman because he cut me. Or maybe because he sounds like, God, that stuff's so stupid. By the way, the Odell deal... Why would the Browns, after having Josh Gordon and Jarvis, why would you add Odell to that? And then when I read the reports that they want two first-rounders at least, so what does that mean? If I'm another GM and I call up the Giants and go, I'll give you two first-rounders, do they counter it and say, well, we said the, the reports that we leaked were at least. So that meant that's the starting point. Uh, normally these kinds of players don't get those kinds of deals because you immediately have to reinvest back in Odell, even though Odell is young enough and he is incredible. And I don't know if he's a out of control party guy. I don't know. I know what the pictures show and I can't tell if that's a guy hanging out somewhere and his time off around people he shouldn't be hanging out with or if he is all the way into it and heading down a road where he is going to be a major problem and he's going to miss games. I don't know. I don't know the answer. That's why I always would be a little bit more forgiving with players if I were a general manager where I'd go, there are guys I know that do stuff that never get caught, and then there's a guy that has like something stupid happen, and now you're labeled this for the rest of your life as an athlete, and that's not always entirely fair. So I don't know. Odell's definitely shown to be immature at times. There seems to be a lot of drama and crap around it, but... He's one of the three best receivers in the league. And if you think you could bring him in and make it work and invest in him, then go ahead and do it. But I still don't know that that's two first-rounders. And I wonder, too, if this is a little bit like the Richard Sherman thing where last year when Sherman, not this offseason, but the previous offseason when it was leaked that Richard Sherman could be on the trade block, I had a team call me and go, this is not fake. 
this is real, but it's also kind of like a little kick in the ass warning to Sherman that will go, you know what? We'll trade you to the Browns. Okay. We'll trade you to the Browns. Sherman comes back, blows out the Achilles, whatever. I don't know who ended up winning in that whole thing, but that could be this. This could be Gettleman's in charge. I'm going to leak out all this stuff. We might trade you to Cleveland. You love being the king of New York. Shape up, shape up, or we're going to move on from you. And that's what this could be. Although Schefter, as you know, and who knows by the time you listen to this podcast, but as I was rolling in, the latest report was that Schefter was saying that it was more likely to be traded and might be like a first and a third. So I don't know. You know what's annoying to me though is like you just said, like he hasn't, you know, he hasn't been in trouble. When they always say, oh, well, he hasn't been in trouble off the field, like he's never getting in trouble off the field. It's like, okay, that doesn't mean that he's an awesome dude then that you want in your locker room just because he hasn't been in trouble off the field, quote unquote. Like he could still be a pain in the butt. Yeah, he could just be difficult to be around. Yeah. All the time. Like the Darius Geis situation where well, some guy was tweeting out today and we're talking about running back from LSU who's behind Fournette, who's incredible. He's awesome. And then, Somebody said something like, hey, people that are kicking the tires on Geis are, are talking more about off-the-field stuff than on the field. And then Geis quote, quote tweeted it from the piece and was just like, I have zero off-the-field deal. And you're going, okay, well, what are we talking about, arrests? Are we talking about like real things that are on a like on your record? Or are we talking about, and I'm not assuming to know Darius Geis at all here. I'm, just, I'm using this as an example exactly like you talked about, Saruti. Off the field doesn't have to mean you actually like got in trouble. It doesn't mean to be, you don't have to be a felon. Right. It can <laughs> mean that you're just a you know what to deal with on a daily basis and people might not want to deal with it. And I don't know what the deal is with Odell. I know we've all seen the same stuff. And man, he's really good. But if I didn't have a quarterback and I were a team trying to figure this out, like the Browns, I go, yeah, that's awesome, but it's not worth it to me. I know what the jerseys, I know the kids love them, uh, you know, the whole deal. But, like, until we're more stable, if I'm a stable organization, I'll go get Odell. If I'm not, and I could love him if I were a GM. Do you, go, sus- do you uh, subscribe to this whole, like, receivers, though, like, haven't won a Super Bowl? Like, the last, like, 20 years worth of Super Bowl winners, like, haven't had, like, a top five receiver on their own? No, I've heard it. I mean, I've heard it all. I mean, there used to be this thing with baseball where no one who had led the league in home runs on a World Series winning team for, like, a couple different decades. I think it was like two decades. And so then it's like, so what does that mean? We don't want home runs? And then it happens. And you go, okay. So, yeah, I think the argument would be if we looked at, like, the true diva wide receivers. Like, I think the Steelers have real problems. Like, real selfish problems. Like, Le'Veon Bell, to me, is a selfish dude who's incredible. But, like, you seem to be worried about stuff. And you allow it to actually be come public like you publicly worry about stuff that shouldn't be a priority the week before playoff game and then Antonio Brown you know we had Ryan Clark come on in studio and was like he's got all of you fooled I was like whoa dude like totally called him out so I mean basically what we're asking ourselves out loud here is is it true that if you have one of these kind of just spotlight wide receivers that it does enough negative things around the team that can't be quantified that it prevents you from winning like that's <laughs> maybe, but man, that's a tough one, right? Doesn't that seem stupid to say, well, you can never have one of the top wide receivers because you ultimately will never win what you need to win? Yeah, like you can say, hey, maybe they're not as not a top five most important position, but it doesn't mean I don't want a great one, you know? Like, you know what then you gotta do is you gotta start looking at teams that lost, like Randy Moss, eighteen and one, Pats. Julio so, Jones, if it wasn't some ridiculous comeback. Right. So Jones is in the conversation and best receiver. They should have won a Super Bowl. Randy Moss should have had that one. Larry Fitzgerald, when he had that touchdown against the Steelers, and then they came back, and it was was Antonio Holmes. So, uh, I'm not I'm not willing to buy that one. I would have to know for like this is where if I were a GM, I'm calling guys. I'm calling guys at LSU. I'm calling guys around the Giants. Like I'm making. I'm not calling the. I'm not calling Gettleman, being like, tell me about Odell. You've been there a minute. This is where you make your money, and you start going, hey, what's this guy's deal? Does he suck? Is it awful being around him every day? Or is this all overblown? You know? And then if you felt good about the answer, you go ahead and get him. But not if I don't have a quarterback and my franchise has been the butt of every professional joke, professional team joke in, in a decade, then I don't do it. Yeah, for me, if you're at the top of the draft, you don't you do not do this trade. It's the no. back half of the first round. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, 
Can we do Ronda Rousey really quickly? So you guys did this segment with Will Kane and the Will Kane Show. Check it out. And I was in the car having a terrible lunch. I had a really weird 24 hours. Went down and played some cards, broke even. That doesn't put you in a good mood. Yeah, just wasted a lot of time. Yeah, just card, 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 break even. You know, what are we talking blackjack? Yeah, playing blackjack. I don't know how you people play slots. You have to smoke, right? Yeah. Like at some point, they go, "Oh, you like slots? slots?" Yeah. Well, here, or say, "Well, I don't smoke." Well, I'm just, sorry, sir. If you're going to play slots and die in slow motion, you're going to have to have to grab some Paul Malls here. <laughs> we can't. We can't just have you playing Titanic and not dying. Putting nickels in. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, my demo's not old enough. Like the slot players are not downloading this podcast. Um, so yeah, and then I, I got my car out of the valet, and somebody backed it in to something. So I noticed that this morning when I was driving to the gym. So I have a dent, a little dent in the back bumper. And I know I didn't do it because I just didn't do it, and it's not from another car hitting it because there's no paint at all, and it's a black car and it's brand new. So I called. <laughs> I go, hey, well, you guys valeted it. Clearly, somebody backed into it. I'm noticing it the next morning, and I, I, the car's brand new. And they were like, all right, we have your claim on file, and we will make a decision in seven days. And I went, so what are you going to do? Just going to tell me I'm wrong, and then I lose? I'm like, who do I call the second time? Then? <laughs> She's like, yeah, wait. She goes, what do you say? I go, no, no, I know what's going to happen. You're going to come back in seven days. So then they were like, well, let's look at the video evidence. So then they pulled up. They said they were pulling up evidence of my car being used in the valet part of the casino and she goes yeah but we, it's it looks good to us no one did anything she's like we can even see on when it enters in that there's a metal piece in the back that's broken off and dented too so you would hit something already and i go really so i walk back and look out of my car i go are you making this part up i go the rest of the car is immaculate there's no metal piece she's like yeah there's a silver thing that's broken off i go there isn't you know i'm looking at it right now I go, this is really weird to me that you're just making up another damaged part of my car to tell me that it's my fault. And she's like, well, we'll put your claim on file. I go, all right, so when I lose this in a week, who do I call? So I got annoyed about that. And this is all related to me being in limbo. So, And I know that I have the personality that allows this stuff to happen, and that's my own fault, and it's because I'm by myself all the time. But I got really pissed off and then was kind of like pre-workout gym hype mode and I wasn't feeling great because I got like a pinched nerve in the back of my neck and it's killing me. And it's a different, different injury. So it's new. So I'm learning how to deal with that. And so in one 30 second stretch, I got off the phone with her, got pissed and like opened the back door of my car and smashed my head like right at the middle part with a hat on. So that like stung the top of your skull because you smashed that brass button down into your head. And then I got pissed and pushed my hands forward into a doc, uh, stack of documents that are all mortgage related that I've sent out too many times and got a paper cut underneath my pinky fingernail all in like 30 seconds. And so then what I do, I just went, okay, man, it's not your day today. Wednesdays are not for Rosillo. <sighs> Deep breath, get a good workout in, and, you know, take it easy. So, you know, from that point on, I turned things around. At least I wasn't Ronda Rousey bummed out though. Okay, so she, I've interviewed her a couple different times. And I, what I don't like about her story is that she was so embraced because it was, it was female power, right? It was cool. I mean, JJ Watt couldn't wait to tweet out that he was Rousey's number one fan. Okay. <laughs> I mean, there's the most direct line in physics. They're teaching this stuff at MIT right now. Rousey, female empowerment, JJ Watt bleeding fingers to tweet out approval. Okay. And they also have a Reebok thing too. So they're, to be totally fair, there was, there was a financial alignment in that. And it was awesome. I was ordering Ronda Rousey fights when she was the headline. Like you wanted to see it. it and it, like it made me feel like I was evolving instead of being, and I'll admit, crappy college kid that would get mad if like, Oh, who's this female announcer? You know what I mean? Like it's allowed me to kind of understand my flaws as I've gotten older. And then I want to hear people complaining about stuff that's going on now with females being heard way more and far more non-traditional ways. And just like, look, half of the NBA broadcast have a female broadcaster doing color commentary for it. Okay. And it happened like that. So anybody that writes another article about how tough it is for women in sports, like you're just not paying attention. I'm not saying it's perfect, but what I'm saying is it's way better because everybody's trying to find ways of going like, hey, it's men's tournament. 
Okay, we got Seth Davis. We've got the host. We've got the former coach. We got Brandon Hayward. All right, who, we need a female out there. That wasn't being asked two years ago, three years ago. So when the Rousey stuff was happening, it's like this isn't about oh I'm a guy I don't like girls. You know what I mean? This isn't oh I don't want to watch. Like I remember one time I was watching the Red Sox and Blue Jays, and this is a couple years ago, and I tweeted out like. It was a U.S. women's team playing soccer, and I go, yeah, I'm not, I'm not watching it. Like, if I'm not into soccer, I'm not knocking it anymore. But like, I don't want to watch that. I'm watching the Red Sox tonight, summer night, and whatever. And then I just got a barrage of female media members being like, oh, and I'm like, you guys aren't even like, you're picking the wrong fight here. If the men's team were on and it's a Red Sox game, I wanted to watch, I'd be watching the Red Sox. Like you're you're making a fight here. So like the Rousey thing, it felt like all the dudes were on the same page. Whether it was new woke dude, okay, or it was old outdated dude, everyone was on the same page about how impressive the Ronda Rousey thing was, right? I mean, is this fair, Saruti? Yeah, I mean, I wasn't interested in MMA at all, and I remember I I watched I went out to watch the Holly Home fight. Exactly. And so when Home beats her, I didn't I don't even watch males in UFC, and I watched Ronda Rousey. Yeah, it just. And it wasn't like a thing where you're going, hey, I want credit for watching UConn, Tennessee women's hoops. Look at me. It was just, oh, Rousey's on tonight? Yeah. All right, let's talk about it. Let's do Rousey segments on the show. And we had her in a couple times, and there was one time it was great, and there was one time it was pretty good, but that's when all the Floyd stuff was happening, where people kept pushing the Floyd. And guess what? The UFC was pushing the Floyd stuff. Dana was pushing the Floyd stuff. She was embracing the Floyd stuff. And then Van Pelt asked her in record reversal of how well an interview was going to how terrible it ended. Um, Scott was like, well, wait a minute. Like, would you ever actually want to fight him? And then her face completely changed and she turned into like, uh, I would never want to be part of anything where there'd be 10,000 people in an arena be- rooting for a man to hit a woman. And we're like, oh, you went, oh, you went there. Oh. All right, so we are we are all doing the fake would you ever beat up Floyd Mayweather and then you gave us like a real social awareness answer in a way that was like not even close to what we were doing with the interview. Like, oh, Floyd, 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 he's a little man. Ha 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 ha. Okay, well, my job interview like would you ever do that? Boom. Right in your face with a hashtag. And so she was pissed off and walked out of the room. And you're like, okay, well, that's kind of unfair. And there'll be people listening to this right now like, you should have never, ever asked that question. You weren't in the room. You weren't in the room with us. And I don't think it's – I actually don't think it's a ridiculous question to ask in the world of combat sports where they were promoting the idea of it for well over a year, okay? They talked about it openly all the time. So then I'm not supposed to ask about it? And she got pissed. She didn't like it. So since she's lost, I feel like the only way you can really get access to her is if you write these pieces that don't challenge her, you know? And it's it's clear that she kind of hated the celebrity of it, and she, she doesn't like it anymore. But, like, don't come and do a car wash at ESPN and expect that we're not going to ask you one thing about the UFC and only ask you the questions that you want to be asked. And the biggest joke about the car wash ever is, look, I was here on this campus for 12 years. I saw everyone, everyone, the biggest names ever came here. And you know what? Everybody's kind of over it because we see all of these people. Like, I remember when Nomar had the baseball gig here. He was, you know, he was all right. But he was still kind of the standoffish, like, oh, the media. He didn't like the media. He didn't like the media in Boston. Maybe he started lightening up at the end. But it was like he didn't want to be bothered. And if you looked at him in the cafeteria, it's like, oh, they're looking at me. And you're like, dude, Lou Holtz is waiting in line in front of me for two hot dogs. Nobody cares, Nomar. Nobody cares. Like, yeah, you're Nomar. You're awesome. And there's, you know, I mean, I'm just trying to think of, like, the next dude. But, like, you know, Randy Moss is in makeup. You know? Chris Carter's walking around, getting lunch with him. Like, everybody's over it. So when somebody comes to do the car wash here and they think, like, time stops, like, they're doing ESPN the huge favor. Hey, folks, the lights are going to go on at ESPN with or without you, Ronda Rousey, or like Snoop Dogg. Snoop comes here, he hates it, and we can't do enough for Snoop Dogg. I'll be curious to see if we use him. I guess maybe I shouldn't say we, but be curious to see if we do another show with Snoop considering he called Will Kane the white devil 
and MF'd him, and then they played it nonstop. And then it's like, so what do you do? Do you put Snoop back on a show after he just did that to one of your hosts? They probably will because it's Snoop, and like Snoop is kind of crossed over into all that stuff. But Snoop's had car washes here where he's been great, and he's had car washes here where he's been terrible. And you just go, look, dude, there's going to be other people that want to come by. So here's some of the Ronda Rousey stuff. What do you want first? Uh, give me the Golic one because that might let's be go the in, wor- Let's go in chronological order. Uh, I have I have, I have, have Ronda with Golic. I have the Kazarian one, which is like the nice little comedic relief in the middle, and then the Max Kellerman one. Uh, give me – Let's do Golic. This is the one that started it all. Yeah, okay, Golic. Here we go. When you knew from the, the MMA, when you were done there, when you, when you knew in your mind, I'm not going to fight anymore. I never said that. Ah, so there is a possibility that you could go back in time? There's a possibility that I could go back in time? That's go, your question to me? Go back in time and, and, and fight. Go back in the octagon. I do not have the ability to go back in time, no. No. Would you fight again? I don't know. I guess I asked it poor. I asked it poorly. I well, guess I think she, I, I, I know I what think I meant. We were really talking about time travel. Yeah, I didn't think we were either. But you know, what are you going to do? Okay, was it a great question? No. Okay, um, but that's where like you've been around long enough. Yeah, what Ronda. Was, what was yeah he, right. He was right. Phrased probably incorrectly. It was he. He clearly wasn't asking if she was traveling time. No, that wasn't a Back to the Future question. Although there was a great opportunity there to use the SNL. Gotta go back in time. <laughs> and that's too old of a reference for you, probably, Saruti. And if I were hosting a show in the late 80s, early 90s, the Huey Lewis jokes would have been incredible. Incredible. Uh, hmm. Okay, all right. So that one's that one's brutal. Like, she just decides, like, I'm going to have an attitude about this whole thing. Play the Kellerman one. And it's look, it's a bad question. It's a bad question, but eventually you kind of go like, all right, the, the goal of this whole thing is, all right, so you're saying you never said that, that you never go back and fight in the UFC. Do you want to give me that kind of answer? No, you just want to dump on me because I asked you a question that wasn't really about time travel? All right, fine. People, in, you must be aware, in the, in the MMA world, there was a lot of talk. Well, she was overrated. She was this. She was that. And my point of view was, at the time and remains, that you achieved amazing heights. Almost no one wins forever. Everyone suffers setbacks. But there seemed to be like an unusual amount of negative pushback after your loss. Did you, did you not experience that? I experience a lot of people who quote some people that are really just afraid to state their own opinion. Do you think it's my opinion? That No, that's not my opinion. I can tell you right now. It's not my opinion. I thought you achieved amazing things. I was and am, remain a big fan of your fighting and of you. That's not, that's not me saying some people meaning me. That is me saying I read and heard from others and defended you. Well, thank you for defending me. I appreciate that. Okay. All right. So Kellerman, I know what she's trying to do there. She's like, oh, is that what you think? And I agree with Kellerman on this one, as you could probably tell here. Like, that's the thing. I didn't like that it turned into people dumping on her. I wasn't one of those guys. I was mad about that. I'm like, all right, so you guys walk around and carry her like a king through the village, and now you're you're calling her a fraud? Well, that's not cool. This is combat sports. People lose. But what she has shown is that the losses affected her in a way that I can't even imagine. Like, I think it's the invincibility, like it's it's gone forever, and that's what makes her more vulnerable in the ring. But that doesn't mean that I always thought she was a fraud. And I feel like she thinks now that because, she, and look, this is my rule. When it's happening to you, it's going to affect you differently. Like, there's nothing easier for us to tell everybody else how they're supposed to feel when something terrible happens to them. I don't know what it's like to feel like Ronda Rousey, to be on top of the world and then have all these people that loved you and Nick Jonas is tweeting about you and Shara Pope. You know what I mean? Like it's crossing over where when Rousey won, it felt like everybody had to give you. And I hate those tweets. I hate those tweets so much. Like the, hey, I'm famous. Somebody else famous did something cool. I'll show them that I'm down. And it's going to like make me look more relatable. And people, you guys all do that crap all the time. All right. And then it turned into like she's a clown and then it was all fake. Well, that's not true. That's ridiculous. It's disrespectful to what she did and how dominant she was in a sport that's almost impossible to be that dominant in. But it's obvious based on her car wash and the experiences of any time you heard. 
Like, she's just bitter, and I understand the bitter part of it. But, like, you're taking it out on the wrong people. That day was about you and promoting you and actually doing you the favor. And ESPN has a full day of programming the next day without you. Yeah, I look at it like, is it similar to, to like, child actors where, like, they they get all this attention and everybody loves them, blah, 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 and then they try to enter this second part of their life, and hers was after her post-loss career when everybody kind of was doubting her wasn't as interested, and it's probably really hard to handle that. I think it's really hard, and I, and I think it's Nobody one thing. Nobody thinks you're cool anymore. You're not getting it. The phone's not blowing up as much. Like Yeah, but she, it, it kind of was, though. She was still in movies. The fighting thing is harder than anything. You know, if I, I can't imagine how upset I would be losing a big fight. Like if you lose a team sport, you know, you blame somebody else. Like that's kind of the way it goes, right? Can I, can I look in the mirror and blame myself? Like none of us like doing that. Although I was reading this thing in the wire that almost done with it. I went back and looked at this piece, Ed Burns, the guy that was the cop. And then he was, um, he was one of the co-creators of The Wire with David Simon, and he was also a teacher, middle school teacher. And he said, I learned very early on that if I was going to middle school and things weren't working out, if I blamed everybody else except for myself, then I was never going to grow as a teacher. You know, if I talked about policy, if I talked about the students, if I talked about other teachers, if I talked about, you know, the lesson plans and all this stuff. So if I just blamed everyone else for me not getting through to the kids, then I was never, ever going to grow. And he goes, then I started applying that to everything in my life. So I would go, okay, this didn't work. That's my fault. So tomorrow I'm going to try this instead. And I stopped blaming everybody else. I would always blame myself. That's really hard to do. That's really, uh, really hard to do. But as a fighter, you have to kind of do that. Like, who else do you get to blame? I mean, sure, you can blame a ref for a stoppage. You can say your trainers didn't trip. But ultimately, like, you know, even the golf course, you can get a stupid break and wins when you weren't striking the ball as well as somebody else. Um, tennis is that way, you know? Tennis is that way where... You get in your own head and I don't know. I hope I don't want to make this sound like I'm incredibly frustrated with her because I think most people actually want to be sympathetic or maybe, I don't know, maybe I'm trying to show how sympathetic I am to the fall for her. But I just, I listened to all that stuff yesterday and I go, what is with the attitude? Like what's, what's your deal? And then people are going with like, oh, she's doing this for the wrestling thing. It's like planned. No way. No way. You're so wrong. I don't, I don't want to hear from any of you guys that are like, this is all calculated. Because then you're not paying attention to the other stuff that she has. She's hated doing a lot of this stuff. And I think she just sees everyone in the same group. You were the people that were for me and then dumped me and couldn't get rid of And she can't separate anybody. Everybody that's not inside the circle is outside the circle, and they're all the enemy. And that's the way she's going through this whole deal. And she's got to figure out at some point to move on because it is a very forgiving society. Um, but it's just tough. It's tough when you're a fighter. Because when your run is over, then people don't care. Uh, I don't know what else I want to do. I could apologize to the Sixers again, but that didn't seem to work. Could I could I talk about Fultz for a second? Yeah, I mean, it's an incredible story. Yeah, I'm going to dump some cold water on that, though. I, that game, I, didn't, I felt like his shot looked really bad, and I think he had eight assists, and four of them were like him dribbling into a group of of defenders and just like miraculously finding a guy who hit a contested layup or jump shot. Like I'm not even sure it looked that great. And I'm rooting for the guy and I want him to be awesome, but like I don't I don't feel great about that game. And then when he didn't answer the question about the injury afterwards. Terrible. Yeah. I, I thought the whole thing was was weird. That was weird, but it's kind of a rousy example there again. It's like so I've spent the entire year as a rookie, especially that age, you're young, impressionable, you're like two years out of high school. You're like everybody thinks I'm a head case and I can play. And now, you know, I've had to hear all these whispers. I've had to read all this stuff. Like, I get where he's coming from, but then you got to understand, like, the two years of high school rule doesn't work anymore when you're a pro athlete. Like, it's tougher. Like, when everybody anybody does, like, oh, I can't believe people are beating up on these kids, you go, well, this is just, you signed up for something different. You signed up for something different. You signed up for, like, the stuff where you're going to allow, you know, if, you, if you're going to be a public figure, you're going you're gonna to get really cool stuff, and you're going to get a bunch of stuff you don't want to deal with that isn't always entirely fair. And unfortunately, being an NBA player is being a public figure. Uh, the Sixers thing isn't about Fultz right now because I don't, I just am happy he's even out there, man, because this thing was so weird, so uncharted. You, like, people, people were acting like it was, oh, he's back. Okay. Well, how, how is he going to impact the Sixers in the playoffs? And I'm going, wait a second. You know what I don't like about the Sixers thing? And it's, it's the Philly guys. I mean, you know, you know who you are and you have that rep because it's accurate. Like you guys are brutal. You're after me every single day. Some of the DMs that I get. And it's like, all right, man, look, 
Here's what's unfortunate about the whole thing is that nobody seems to want to appreciate how ridiculously unprecedented this success is for this group, okay? Because I was going through it again today. They were 25 and 25 at one point. And at that point, like, I'm still going, all right, you know, who knows? A bad week here, a bad week there. They may not even be in the playoffs. Now I'm not sure what their ceiling is in the playoffs. And it's not so much of who they are. And they have gone 18 and 5 since being 500. 25 and 25 to 18 and 5. Embiid for the month of March, 21-11. He's not even playing 30 minutes a game. Simmons has been insane, 13-11 and 9 boards. It's 11 assists. And he doesn't turn the ball over either. And I was looking at his numbers there in March. And Sharich has been kind of the unheralded piece of this whole thing. He's been incredible. Look at these shooting numbers from these guys. Embiid's been the worst three-point shooter, three-and-a-half attempts per game in March, just under 30%. Then everybody else is off the charts. J.J., six attempts a game, 48%. Sharich, who we know is good because he's gone from Sarich to Sharich. Yeah, the S to the SH. Right. Once we really start tightening up your European pronunciation, we know you're getting at least top six minutes on your team. So he's at 48%, and it's actually higher than JJ's. Covington's taken seven threes a game in March. He's hitting 44%. Bellinelli's at four and a half attempts, 37%. Ilyasova's two and a half attempts, 38%. Then you add in faults, and I don't know what to expect from him other than, you know, defensively he's not going to fit in with these other guys. Like, think about this again. A group that has never, ever played before, okay, ever, adds a rookie in Simmons and kind of like a red-shirted rookie in Embiid. And then those two guys go on to be, in Embiid, one of the most impactful players in the game. And Simmons, arguably Rookie of the Year. And if you pick him over Mitchell, I wouldn't argue. I just think that all the guys that are pro-Simmons don't even think about Mitchell. Like You know what the biggest mistake people make on social media now? Is that when there's a debate that's close, you've taken yourself out of it when you say, and you know what, it's not even that close. When you add, and you know what, it's not even that close... When it actually is close, that means you're an idiot, and I don't ever want to hear from you again. You know? That's an incredible point. It's so true. Like, all these guys immediately disqualify themselves with the, the, the preface, or no, I guess they would say the qualifier of, I'm just trying to think of like a really good one. Like, if somebody, eh, I don't know, I don't know if that one's good or not. Like, would CNN have a vote in the Senate that came down to, like, 51-49 and go, well, this new Clean Water Act, to be honest with you, it's not even that close. Like, it was 50, what are you? It was literally as close. What are you talking about? It was almost a tie. Yeah, but it's it's, it's not, it's actually, it's not even that close. Send. Uh, so, all right, so, like, here's, here's, so, what happened was when Philly got the Fultz thing, when that trade happened and you ended up with the number one pick, it was, okay, we're adding Fultz to Embiid to Simmons, which was still this unknown, and then it's Sixers Armageddon on Twitter, and it's, hey, we're calling out everybody. So guys like me were like, well, who are you calling out? Like, you haven't even played yet. Okay, and then I screw up with my take in the beginning of the season thinking, okay, well, young teams aren't good. I apply that to all young teams. They're bad. They're a top five defense. They're on a unbelievable tear even though i don't love their fourth quarter stuff it's gotten a little bit better during this incredible run and now because i think the Cavs kind of stink and the celtics are always hurt and i don't trust toronto's toughness and i throw the wizards into team soft serve as well like could the sixers actually come out of the east could the sixers really play in the eastern conference finals like i'm already shook from getting it wrong before but how come we're not celebrating this? Like, and it's because it's a Philly thing. It turns into let's murder everybody that didn't believe in us. And my always counter is this: like, why were you right? Because you like it. Because you like a team that meant you were going to be right. And what's been lost? This should be celebrated way more than it is. We're acting like this is commonplace. And I'm going to go on Sports Center and say this stuff tonight. What they are doing is incredible. And it that's like the storyline instead of revenge. It should be, and look, you guys stunk on purpose. So what are you, mad because people go, your team stinks? You wanted to stink. Whose fault is that? And it worked, and now it's great, and it's awesome, and I'm so, like, I don't know what to make of the top of the East at all. I know what I'm probably going to do is just default LeBron it again and go, whatever, it's LeBron, give him one more year. But they are so bad on defense. 
They are awful to watch on defense. That team just mails it in. Nobody knows what the hell they're supposed to be doing. So, you know, healthy Celtics, maybe. But the Celtics, you know, what if Kyrie's not there and they're playing the Heat in the 2-7 matchup? You know, I don't think that's like, oh, just pencil the Celtics into the second round. I don't think it is. And that's what's so great about sports, because what do we do at the beginning of the year? Not necessarily me, but... Oh, your forecast wars. Season well, I think I saw Bobby Marsh tweet, like, this is the first time in forever that, like, five through eight in the East can win a first-round series. Yeah, think about, like, oh, whatever, stupid. I don't know who's coming out of the West. The Warriors, like, the sense I get from my people that I talk to, you know, you want to write us off because you think we're hurt, hurt? Go ahead, but don't. Um but if they, if, you know, if they lose to Houston or they lose, to, you know, something weird happens. But the the East thing is completely upside down. I, I just to say, if it ends up being Cavs Warriors again, let's not act like the path to it has been the same of the previous three postseasons. Because right now, I don't know. And yeah, could you imagine, guy, like it happens for a fourth time, and it's a huh, snooze fest, and you're like, and it, it, it couldn't be like there's couldn't a be legitimate, more different. there's a legitimate threat in the West. Totally. Even, even if Curry was healthy. Yeah. And this Cavs team is a disaster. Do you see what 538 tweeted out the other day? What? That like the Rockets were overwhelming, overwhelming favorites to win it all? Why, if anyone other than Houston wins the West, it'll be a shock. Yeah. See, they're, they, they, you want to know what they're talking about? Love them. Yeah. What? The AL West. Oh, well, okay. They did it on purpose. That's pretty funny. That's actually pretty good. You would. I'm like sure that. a bunch of people got mad about that. I did. I kind of like stuff like that. When you're blatantly trolling because you know people, because you know, you know how mad people are going to get. I like that. That's funny. Okay. Um, we're going to attempt to call my father here and, uh, have him tell us about Will Chamberlain. As promised, it may be in lieu of a mailbag. I did get some mailbag questions, including was Lee Nalen over, under, or properly rated, which I loved because he was awesome in college. Um, so I would say underrated in college, but then it didn't quite work out. The mellow hall of fame question, would I bartend at herbs? If I moved to Denver, if they would have me, maybe corridor, uh, either one, but my dad joins me and he, uh, came on the show live with us once when we did the Muhammad Ali stuff, which was awesome. And, uh, we all know how much I like my dad and he was a really good basketball player back in the day. So, I don't think anybody ever know. I feel like we've never given you enough credit for this dad. And unfortunately, I think there's, there's too many times in life where we maybe don't give our parents enough credit, but take us back to your, your youth basketball days before you were a, a stud in high school, but you, you played before Wilt Chamberlain, Bill Russell, et cetera. So how did, how did this happen? Okay. I'm on a eighth grade travel team. Um, probably about 1958. And back then, after the NBA season ended, these guys didn't get the money they get today. Sure. So they would that do these up. barnstorming tours, the Bob Cousy All-Stars, Will Chamberlain All-Stars. Um, uh, Bill Russell, I never really saw him. I don't think he was into that. But <laughs> basically, um, I was on this team. The coach of the team was friends with uh, a semi-pro team. Back in Connecticut then, there was a lot of semi-pro leagues, really good basketball players. And the NBA guys would hook up for these exhibition games, barnstorming things at the end of the season, just to make more money. And, you know, I saw the likes of Bob Cousy and Bill Sharman and Tommy Heinsohn playing on the same team in a uh, small high school gymnasium. And I was lucky to be on a travel team that would play the preliminary games to these, uh, the NBA all-star guys. Okay, so... before, just so, can you give us the name so it'd be like a local? Because you were at this point, yeah. I told people you were you were born in Providence, but then you ended up in in a part of Connecticut outside of Hartford called Glastonbury, which I ended up living in for a couple of years before we moved again, and it's where you went to high school. But so there was your travel team's head coach. He was friends with this guy that was kind of like this local legend, but like not good enough to be a pro. Correct. Correct. What was the guy's name? And- uh, Ray McKen. He was actually more of a coaching legend than a playing legend, as far as I know. Okay. But he, uh, his name of his team was the Marco Polo Explorers, and they were very good. And they represented a, a restaurant in East Harbor, Connecticut. Don't know if it's still there, but basically, it was a really good brand of semi-pro ball. 
And uh, one day I got the uh, fortune of playing before the Wilf Chamberlain All-Stars. So, all right, so were and, you... All right, this is amazing. So you're 13, and Wilt's going to play this guy's team in this barnstorming thing, so Wilt has all the NBA guys, and then you meet Wilt. Yeah, he's got Guy Rogers on the team to get the other guy, maybe Chet Walker, you know, guys that, you know, really good players. So it's halftime of my game, and uh, we're in the locker room, and Wilt walks in, and he's wearing this suit with vertical stripes. So never mind him being seven feet tall. He looked even taller in the suit. Didn't seem to bother him, although some people would claim that he was sensitive about his height, and people would claim that he was actually seven feet two, not seven feet. And uh, the famous Wilt story was if someone came up to him and asked him how the weather was, he would spit down at him and say, it's raining up here. (laughs) Yeah, right. I've heard that one. (laughs) Yeah, everybody's heard that one. But basically, (laughs) I'm in the locker room, and I'm like, you know, I'm 6'2", 6'3", in eighth grade, so... Comes up to me and he goes, you play center, kid? And I go, yeah. He goes, let me give you a tip. And I said, okay. He said, so you want to know how to score a few extra points? Maybe even in this game? I go, sure. He goes, do you remember when you see a guard like up front steal a ball and he's going in for a head of the field layup? What do you do? And I go, a lot of times I take a break and I watch because that's what the front court players would do, figuring out the guy's going to make the layup. He says, don't do that. Always follow up the shot, the, the layup that you think he's going to make, he might miss, and then you're there, a tall guy, ready to put it back in. And he said he always did that, and that would add a few points to his total. And I thought about it, and I go, yeah, because, you know, when you see a guy with a head of steel layup and steal at half court, your natural instinct is to just, you know, the forward and the center is to just kind of hang back and watch or he's going to make the layup. A lot of times they blow it. Some guy would be running down after him and make a play. So I, I actually did that in the game and put in a bucket. And I always remember that later. Like, you know, even with pickup games later when I was older, I would always kind of do that. Uh, not all the time, but some of the time. And it was amazing how many times you were there to get a extra two or four points in a game. And this was a tip from Wilt, who you would think the guy would take a rest from scoring after getting 50 points you know, a game in a season, but he was always looking to score. And this is his tip to me. And uh, I think he picked me out because I was the tallest guy on the team at the time. <laughs> so you think that's what it was? Like he was doing a tall guy to tall guy bonding moment? Yeah, he came right up to me and he said, are you the center on this team? And I go, yeah. Yeah, well, he's pretty tall for my age. And, and my brother was on that team. He was like 5'10". Most of the guys weren't pushing six feet to well they might have been pushing six feet but you know, I was the tallest and just happened to pick me out and I very friendly guy very helpful and uh, nothing like the reputation he had in the media where he was surly and this and that maybe like kids better I don't know but so you liked him but was, you were a big Celtics fan though so I mean how did that big did... Celtics fan but when a guy like this comes up to you and he's giving you a tip and it's Will Chamberlain uh, <laughs> I always liked him after that uh Always rooted against him. Um, Bill Russell was my guy. He always will be. And um, I will say Russell was the only one that would get under Wilt's skin, and that's why the Celtics would win in the Sixers, where he was playing for, would lose to the Celtics continuously. And I don't think it was just because they would always say the Celtics had the better, you know, Russell had the better supporting cast, but Will had some really good players. And the Celtics just would get under his skin right on the back. And, um, you know, Russell wouldn't really contain Wilt. He could score 40 and get 20 rebounds, but somehow the Celtics would win the game. I remember, you know, like growing up through you in the sense of like you would turn me on to these things at a young age. You know, we'd be talk basketball and you'd be my coach and all that kind of stuff. And I remember you bought me that this you know VHS tape of, of like a Wilt bio thing. Do you remember that thing? And it was like it was a whole hour documentary on Wilt, but Wilt was in it. And he's in this track suit and maybe it was made in the eighties or something. And it was, you know, kind of like a lower quality thing, but it was pretty funny. And the guy who was doing the documentary, like at one point is interviewing him, asking him about Russell and will just as so matter of fact about it. He goes, Oh, well, I mean, you know, between Bill and I, you know, I understand his accomplishments, but as far as like athlete versus athlete, there's no comparison. I was a far superior like player than he was. And he was so 
you know, just because of his size and his dominance and all that stuff. And he was, it was almost like he was dismissive of Russell, which I thought was kind of funny considering that just anything that, you know, anything I've seen through the history books is just that, yeah, it's not a numbers thing, but he'd find a way to, to bother him more so than any other player in the world. Well, actually, I agree with Wilt on that. He was a much better athlete, and Russell never really stopped him, but Russell was a smarter player, and he didn't play with the emotion that Wilt did where Wilt had this chip on his shoulder and got in the way of his playing. Sometimes he wouldn't go into a game. The coach wasn't treating him right. Um, uh, another thing you should consider about Wilt is he never fouled out of a game in his life, which I find a ridiculous statistic. Is but that good or bad? Bad. Yeah, bad that he didn't hustle. And Larry Bird fouled out of games and gave up his back um, going to the floor. A selfish routine that went to the floor. Russell, um, I don't remember Wilt going to the floor. Same with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Do you think he played till he was 40? He never went to the floor for a ball. This is dangerously uh, starting to sound like airplane, but okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know what that means, but I'll no, no, no. But, uh, Remember that scene in Airplane when Kareem is on the plane and the guy goes, my dad says you don't get back on defense. <laughs> Remember? Well, yeah, well, it's true. I mean, uh, he was an offensive, you know, force, yeah, and right. uh, he saved he saved his energy for the offense. He would get 10 rebounds a game. A guy like that should average 15 or 20. Um, but basically, you know, Wilt was – a much superior athlete, much bigger, stronger. He claims if he had played volleyball, he would have been the best, and he probably would have been. Who would have been better than Wilton volleyball? He claims if he was a bowler, he would have been the world. He's talking about world's best here. He would have been the world's best bowler, probably because he could reach halfway down the lane. And he was, he was athletic. He had everything going for him. How do you score fifty points in a game without having, you know, being a superior athlete? Right. That's and, average. When, yeah. Then there was the talk about him. He was going to fight Muhammad Ali, which would have been a huge mistake. But that was almost close to being a signed uh, fight. And then at the last moment, it was canceled. Uh, but that he came close to fighting Muhammad Ali, basically saying uh, people asking him. There was a cover on Sports Illustrated, I think, with a shirt off and a tank top. And they asked him, how would he do against Ali? Did you see the cover of Sports Illustrated? This was when he had filled out a bit because he was – Called him the Big Dipper and the Stilt at first, but when he filled out, he was huge. And he actually believed he could beat Muhammad Ali in a boxing match, which would have been a dumb thing for him to do. But uh, yeah, that would have happened. Right. I mean, there's there's but, being big and tough, and then actually knowing, like being yeah, but, trained. But Will to fight. had the right. ego to go with the talent too. He um, he would never admit Russell was better than him because really, on the athletic wise, Russell wasn't better than him. Uh, so you ended up, what were you, 6'5 in, in high school? Because you used to only say 6'4, and then we measured you one day, and you were 6'5, and then you kind of like went with it. No, I, I, think... grew, I grew an inch, inch and a half after high school. You did. So were you the best player on your high school team, or there was another no. kid that was huge, right? No, I was... I was... We had a guy that was 6'8 that was really good. He was the 6'8 guy that could play, and I was sort of his role player. And, uh, and I think I was a good all-around player, but not, I was way too skinny to uh, to really like make an impact the way you know certain players would. I'm not even close to being an all-star, uh, but you know it was basketball. It was fun. Yeah, but you would have been good enough. Like, I mean, you know, I'm not going to get into it or anything like that. But like, you, you know, you were you were at Hartford for a year, so it's not like I mean, Hartford may then have have not been what it is now. But I mean, you'd had like, what did you average in high school? Do you remember? Yeah, they were playing Division three teams, and we were supposedly Division two. Oh, okay. All right. All and, right. Uh, yeah, so I'm not going to even go anywhere near, you know, what my potential was as a basketball player in college when uh, that didn't work out for me in the end anyway. So I'll leave it at that. Okay, cool, cool. Who was, uh, who was a better player at my peak versus your peak? You you against me? Yeah, at our peak. Um not even close. Who do you think I'm going to say? You. No, you. Easily you. I never had a handle. I grew up playing the post since fifth grade CYO league. I was always the center. And I played with my back to the basket. I had a good turnaround jump shot, but I never had a dribble. And then um, never developed a handle like guys do today. And uh, Well, you see centers today that still can't dribble. But um, 
basically when you're the tall, lanky guy, uh, they stick you at center. And um, you, my man, had the whole package. You could dribble. When you were smaller and getting beat up, you could dribble through people because you had a lot of heart. Then when you got bigger, you started coming up with these McHale moves that I could never duplicate. And um, you were a way better all-around player than me. Not even close. Yeah, but you were better. Like, the weird thing is is that after I learned all those post moves that I had to learn because I had to play against you and I couldn't get my shot off unless I had seven different up fakes because I was playing against you. And the thing, the thing that sucked for me is that I just didn't – it's a lot like you. Like, you were a better player probably at 40 than you were at 20 – and I was, what's that? I was. Yeah. I had, I had more meat on my bones, so one thing. <laughs> yeah, right. And I and uh, play with more more abandon. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm like my thing was 29, and then I when I got the job with Van Pelt, I stopped playing, and I didn't play for like four years, and then I tried to pick it up again, and my hand was gone, and I was like, oh wait, this oh, yeah. sucks, and yeah. it's amazing. Well, you got bigger too, where you know maybe you know with all the muscle you have, uh, your, your game had to change, and it did. Yeah, because I thought it was fun, and then when you didn't, when you don't dribble, you're like, oh, wait a minute. So now, I mean, now it's like I can see certain pickup games, and I go, you know, if you go out there, you may not be able to dribble. But ten or fifteen <laughs> years ago, when I'm playing your one on one. You just put your shoulder into me, and I'm like flying through the air, and you're putting in a, a hoop. Yeah, but you'd be fifty five playing me at twenty five. I mean, you know, the thing is, is yeah, well, like a couple of those games were close, and I think you deserve a lot of credit for that at fifty five. Well, yeah, I guess. <laughs> um, hey man, let's do this again. That was a lot of fun on the Wilt thing because uh, it yeah, just it always blows my mind that like Wilt. yeah yeah. All right, Dad, I love you. Talk to you soon. But I got lots of old stuff. If you, uh, you want to tap the source, just call me anytime. All right, so that'll do it. Uh, I think here from Connecticut, unless I tape one more before I leave with Van Pelt, which could be possible. But the problem is, is if I don't tape one next week, then I may not tape one at all next week because I don't even know where I'm going to be. Um, so I'm not trying to sound ominous or anything. I just, I'd like to keep these going. I do hell. I do as many of these a week as, as, uh, as they let me, but I think for everybody involved, we're just doing the one a week until, uh, until we figure this out. So I don't know, maybe it'd be cool actually if I could tape one more next week, but I, I just don't know that I'm going to be able to. And then if I don't, then I'll tape it from LA. I hope the second week of April. So there might be a little gap. Uh, the questions have not been great lately. So we should just come up with hashtag, just call them not great questions, and then just use that. So if something pops in your head, then we'll go back and look at that hashtag when we go to tape the next one, and then we can pick from them there. Because yeah, for like the a most, library. Right. Hall of Fame. Is so-and-so in the Hall of Fame? You know what else is one I never care about? Is, is so-and-so good enough to be first, second team All-NBA? I don't. I know I should care about that more. I just don't. The answer is probably yes, given the year. Yeah. I love the Dwight Howard Hall of Fame one, though, because he's going to be in the Hall of Fame. And Haberstroh is going to give us some massive stat pack that no one's ever done this by this age or whatever. And that's when I go, no, no, we should have it be, there should be an override button of that guy feel like he was a Hall of Famer for the second half of his career. Yeah, the eye test is is a no. Like Mello, I think, has a better shot at it. Like Melo's ultimate scoring numbers are going to be nuts, but it is funny that the Melo thing now everybody's crushing him. I don't know what it took people seventy games to realize he runs from one top of the key to the other top of the key. He's just a corner three point shooter at this point. Who doesn't play any defense? He fit in on the Cavs, great. Locked Should've... up for another year though. I know thirty million NBD. We got a three and D guy that doesn't play D. Thirty million bucks. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my God. And then I guess you would say, like, well, whatever, Canner wasn't that good, moved off of that money. And be like, yeah, true. But your guy cost $30 million. And you know what next year is? Next year. It's another year. Oh, the cap went up, though? Well, that's right. The cap did go up. I love that people get the cap went up jokes. It's my favorite thing now that people – the people – in on the, the, but the cap goes up joke. You guys are my favorite. All right. Uh, that's it. I hope you guys enjoyed my dad talking about it. They got a little, you pat my back, I'll pat mine. But I didn't, I thought he was going to say at his peak, he was a better player than I was. He was really good. He scored like 50 something in a game when he was 40 in a men's league game. And he had 54. 
He could shoot. He's six five. Yeah, what did he say? He was six two at eighth grade. Yeah, so he ended I up was... being six five, and he could he could shoot. He played in college for like a year, and then he ended up being pretty good in academics. So he just switched over to academic scholarship, and uh, he's really smart, smart guy. But he, uh, I thought I didn't know what he was going to say, but then he starts talking about these games we're playing each other one on one. When I started filling out at like twenty six, and then like really twenty nine, he was like hanging with me a little bit in these games, and he was almost sixty. Like, he doesn't give himself enough credit at all. Like, he'll still go outside and beat me in a three-point shooting contest. He's 72 years old. He's a better shooter than me today. Is he a better shooter than Mella? Uh, he moves around a little bit more. Better defender. 